Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And we're here to record an episode that's going to be a little bit out of date by the time it uh, posts on our feed here, but that's just kind of what we're rocking with lately. Um, Today, we're going to talk trade deadline recap. Yes, the thing that happened about four weeks ago at this point. Um, And then also draft recap, which happened uh, just a couple days before that. But before uh, we get into that, guys, how are we doing? A little status check. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm feeling good. Uh, I guess, you know, we can we can date ourselves here. We're recording on the 13th of August mm-hmm. and the Orioles just broke in. We are in the third wild card spot. We are in third place in the AL East and DL Hall is coming up today. So... Yeah, it's DL Hall Day. That's this. Uh, this date will be remembered as DL Hall Day from now D-day. until just DL. I feel like yeah, that's been used work. before. Yeah. yeah. That. <laughs> Wait, did somebody take that already? Okay. I think the military has a whole thing about that. If I'm uh, not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, this is a little time capsule that, you know, uh, from when we record to when we post, things could be totally different. Uh, they're in the midst of a big series with the Rays right now, which could completely alter the season. But that's good to know you're feeling good, Eli. Uh, Jesse, how about you? Yeah, I mean, just generally, I'm feeling okay but as far yeah yeah, exactly but as far as the (laughs) orioles go i mean this is this is uh everything is happening just way faster than we expected it to all of us expected it to and i mean i was saying a while ago you know we were having this conversation well will the orioles get to 500 (laughs) you know and the conversation we really should have been happening is is this a playoff team right (laughs) so um we were a little uh misguided with that but um yeah i mean we're gonna talk about that today and uh yeah but it's it's just incredible uh in my eyes just you know how quick around how quick a turnaround this team has had even mid-season like in the middle of the year right um i mean basically since adley came up um may this has been 21st right this (laughs) has been a completely different team right so um absolutely yeah, so it's it's really exciting, and we're right in the middle of this, fighting for a playoff spot. So Absolutely. All right, well, before we date the episode anymore, let's get into the topics that they're hopefully still evergreen here uh, in the two weeks in between when we record and post. So let's talk trade deadline first, because I think that's the stuff that most of us care about. I mean, the draft's important, but as, as we get closer to being a perennial playoff team, hopefully, um, the draft is going to become sort of a secondary Uh, feature to the trade deadline um so Orioles made two bigger moves and one smaller move at the deadline um let's talk about the first one which is I think the one that the entire fan base is a little bit torn on right now um and I think I'm kind of in that same boat even with the uh the 2020 vision or the the look back window we've had of the last two weeks since it's happened but trade uh Trey Mancini was traded to the Houston Astros in a three-team deal with the Rays and the Astros, um, the Orioles acquired Seth Johnson and Chase McDermott, uh, two pitching prospects in the deal. Uh, the other big name involved was uh, Siri. Jose Siri went to the Rays to be their everyday center fielder. Um, so kind of a, a big deal there to involve three. And the Orioles, I think both those pitchers came from the Rays. Is that correct, Eli? Oof, I th- uh, no, I think Seth Johnson was from the Rays and Chase McDermott was from the Astros. 
All right. Well, we'll, when we get into the conversation, I'll look to confirm all that stuff. But those are the two names, two guys that went right into the the top 30 of the Orioles um, prospect list on MLB Pipeline, which, you know, not that that number really means a whole lot, but it does make you feel a little bit better. Um, So I guess maybe I'll go to you, Eli, first to kind of get the rundown of how you feel about the trade and and maybe those two pitching prospects um, in particular. Did you think it was a a good deal for the Orioles? Yeah. uh, First off, while you were talking, I went and I double checked. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It was Seth Johnson from the Rays, Chase McDermott from the Astros. Um, Yeah. All that said, I mean, there were a lot of um, emotions involved, of course, you know, and there was a lot of back and forth. I honestly, you know, seeing that the team was getting more and more competitive, I had my own doubts about whether I wanted to trade Trey, whether I wanted to kind of mess with the charisma, mess with the whole mystique about the Orioles. You know, we were this, you know, anytime that a team is overperforming, you assume that there is some inherent amount of just like voodoo magic that has been generated by the team as a result of them and the way that they enjoy spending their time together, et cetera. So it kind of feels like taking, you know, the most tenured player out of that is obviously going to hurt, you know, whatever voodoo magic we had created. Uh, So, you know, as we got closer to it, it was that coupled with it's two months of a DH. Like I wrote a blog up on our uh, Substack website and, you know, I took a look at his numbers. He is a, just about league average first baseman as a hitter and a substantially below average DH. And Uh he's not a good first baseman with the glove. So, (laughs) you know, like if we're trading away two months of this guy, how much are we really going to get back? And it was one of those, his value to the Orioles felt like it was going to be larger than it would be to any other team. All that said, I love the return. (laughs) Uh Um, You know, I was actually pretty excited about it. A lot of people talk about um, Seth Johnson as having extremely good stuff. You know, it was like Taj Bradley and Shane Boz, and then Seth Johnson was the number three pitching prospect in the Rays system. Uh, He's got a big fastball. He's got a plus slider and uh, like another like slower curveball, bigger curveball that uh, plays differently. You know, it's Right now, it's graded as a like slightly minus pitch and a changeup that's about at the same level. But, you know, he's got two big pitches to work off of. And at the least, that screams, you know, the floor of a long reliever or something to that effect. Um, but nobody really looks at him like that. Fangraphs had pointed out that before this year and before his current Tommy John injury, they Uh, They ran their Zips projections and projected him as the 58th most productive player in the minor leagues at that time. So, you know, he's got a super high ceiling. He's got a great arm. Um, Chase McDermott, they, you know, it's another mid-90s fastball. He's got two plus breaking pitches. He's struck out 10 in five innings since he came over. You know, it definitely, uh, it looks like we got some good upside here. And, uh, Chase McDermott also like people talk about him as kind of a vertical attack angle. Uh, He's interesting from that sense in the way that his arm slot and his fastball rides. Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot to like, and admittedly I was kind of surprised we got this much for Trey. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it obviously it's sad to lose Trey, but the team has kept performing well. The return looks like it's pretty promising 
and uh, you know that you gotta hand it to Elias for that. Yeah, I think that's what I was gonna talk. Or I was gonna touch on is just like the value of of what they got back, and they, and they don't likely get that much back if uh, the Rays don't get involved and have Siri in there, who I think had become kind of a hot not not prospect but like a hot commodity on the trade market it seemed like because right. there was talk for a while about the orioles potentially getting siri if they got involved with a with a, a mullins trade to the astros i saw that rumor out there a few weeks ago so yeah i mean i think that um from my perspective it definitely was a better return than i was expecting i had in my mind like the andrew Kashner return of a couple of years ago where it was two like dominican teenagers who you know maybe it works out maybe it doesn't i don't think i've heard anything from those two in the three years since it's happened um so that was definitely interesting um jesse i'll go to you for your take and you can kind of touch on anything you want here but maybe in particular like that the magic that eli spoke about with losing mancini um do you think that that possibly is happening here i mean we've seen two weeks that it hasn't really been the case but um you know what are your thoughts there right um yeah i mean i definitely uh agree with Eli's analysis uh, overall. Um, I would say that I think right in this situation, kind of like you hinted at Tyler, I think our return was bolstered because of uh, it being a three-way deal. And it wasn't one team giving us both prospects for Mancini. It was, uh, you know, a little from here and a little from there. So I think we were fortunate in that sense. And right. Elias, like I think did a good job to find a way to, maneuver things um and to make that work for us um as far as um uh so yeah i mean right yeah i mean i don't think elias factors much of this uh magic uh sort of thing into his analysis and into his decision making um and i think uh right he sees that you know the orioles organization is better you know with this trade happening and i think that's basically what his calculation is um yeah i mean and i i think it's also hard to justify right uh i mean i think it's hard to justify some sort of mystique right or keeping a guy who isn't that productive or you know isn't isn't that useful on the team uh because of some sort of uh, amorphous, uh, you know, magic that he he is bringing to the team, right? And kind of like you said, Tyler, the two weeks, you know, or whatever it's been since the deadline. Um, yeah, I mean, the Orioles have been playing great even since then. So um, I think also the thing that, you know, neither of you really touched on exactly, uh, but I think the other big key important piece here is that you know trey was just kind of losing the ability for time and to play on the team and his usefulness was you know greatly diminishing with adley dh'ing um you know a a fair amount of the time you know uh and with mountcastle playing first base mountcastle is definitely a better option at first base um adley is dh'ing you know half the time or a little less than that but um yeah you know dh'ing a good amount of the time um and there's no space for for mancini in the outfield really the only option left at that point um in order for him not to just kind of be a uh clogging up the roster in a sense is for him to be dealt so i think that's another big factor of to what to what went on here i think that's a really good point 
um, because we saw as Oriole fans the exact same sort of situation happen a couple of years ago when the Orioles had like a million DH first base types or whatever, when it was Trumbo and I think Pedro Alvarez was around and Chris Davis was around all at the same time. And it was like, I mean, the team was way worse and, and those players collectively, you know, because D- Davis was declining as well, were all worse than I think the combo of Mancini, Mountcastle and Rutschman. But yeah, it's a really good point there. Um, and it probably is something that had to happen. And I think it was Fangraphs had an article out about just the Orioles trade deadline in general and how even though they lost uh, Mancini and Jorge Lopez, who we'll talk about in a second, it didn't really impact their ability to compete at all, like on paper, because Mancini was not that much of a factor anyway. And Lopez is a relief pitcher who was really good. But, um, you know, on the whole, that doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Um, something else I wanted to talk about with the Mancini thing was right afterwards, uh, the press talked to Elias about it. And Elias had a quote saying that he is looking forward to seeing what can be discussed with Trey Mancini in free agency. Um, now, do you guys buy that at all? Or is that just kind of, uh, you know, uh, something for the fans to kind of latch onto a little bit? Eli, you shook your head right away. <laughs> yeah, no, th- there is. I put absolutely no stock in that. The only yeah. thing that he would talk to Trey Mancini about in free agencies potentially coming on as a hitting coach or morale booster. Um, yeah. yeah. No, no, no part of me thinks that we're going to talk to Trey Mancini. I yeah. just don't see it. They could be talking about Houston restaurants, maybe, you know, right. <laughs> after Trey's been there more recently. Uh, Jess, are you of the same mind there? Yeah. Um, Right. I mean, the exact situation that I just detailed uh, about playing time and everything is going to be, even more bad you know next year right <laughs> yeah. when when uh adley and uh, uh mountcastle are even better right we're going to be in a situation where um you know it's going to be even worse uh so yeah that doesn't make i mean i guess granted you could argue that uh adley will spend more time catching than he is DHing, you know mm-hmm. or at least a higher percentage of the games catching than DHing than he is this year but um yeah, overall, yeah, I'm putting nothing into that, like Eli said, and uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think there's there's anything to that. Yeah, I think the DH spot is something that the Orioles ideally probably want to rotate every so often, not have a fixed DH, because I think we're also seeing Santander is becoming kind of unplayable in the outfield in my eyes, and <laughs> and that's sort of turning into the same situation, so um, maybe he gets dealt in the offseason as well, but we'll talk about that. Um, when it comes up Um, the other trade we alluded to just moments ago Jorge Lopez was dealt to the Minnesota Twins who as we record right now are actually beneath the Orioles in the standings so kind of an odd trade in retrospect Uh, but the Orioles got kind of in my eyes it was more of a quantity over quality type of a thing but there is one arm in here that has been impressive so far with the Orioles the four names that the O's got back are Cade Povich, Genier Cano, Juan Nunez, and Juan Rojas Povich is the top prospect there. Cano is actually on the Orioles 40 man. He's a 28 year old reliever with some MLB experience. Who's struggled at the major league level. Uh, uh, Povich just, or Eli, do you want to give the kind of the scouting report on Povich and maybe an update on how he's done so far? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, pretty simply again, I'm not a scout. I just read, <laughs> but uh, you know, he's a lefty. He's got a good mid nineties fastball and they say it's just a pretty well-rounded arsenal. Um, he's a solid pitchability guy 
you know, solid command. So far, yeah, he hasn't given up a run in two starts since he came over. Uh, I think each of the starts were six innings. A, a lot of, um, like, MLB Pipeline, I think, slotted him in as, like, our 26th best prospect. Yeah. And um, somebody else uh, was, or I think Fangraph slotted him in as, like, 19th after the draft guys came in. I think that this is somebody who definitely, you know, they, they talk about prospects with helium prospects who are kind of on the rise. I think that this is a situation where he's been really pitching well this year in high A uh, for the twins. And I guess, you know, through these two starts for us and the, you know, the outlets haven't quite caught up in that sense. So I think that, you know, the way that Elias had seen him, the way that the twins front office had seen him is more of a, you know, more legitimate, like mid rotation guy uh, as his ceiling. So I think that this is a situation where we did get a little bit more of an upside play than, you know, most of the information available to us would tell us. Um, But there are also, you know, if you listen to the On the Verge guys talk about him, uh, it does sound like there's really a lot to like with Povich. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the early returns have been really good. Um, I think from my perspective, like I just said, it was sort of a quantity over quality type of a thing that could end up being improper analysis. Um, but I think with Lopez, it was okay. We understood with Mancini, the contract ex- is expiring as Jesse just laid out. He's kind of surplus to requirements with what this roster can handle. Lopez was arguably the best reliever on the roster. Maybe Bautista has been better, but he's been the closer all year. He's got several years of team control left. You know, we didn't have to do this. Did we get a good return? So Jess, I don't know, kind of with that perspective, you know, what did you think about Lopez getting dealt? in general and if you want to touch on the return feel free to yeah i mean that's a little bit about kind of what i was thinking about it right uh i mean both of these trades are definitely and granted i was saying a while ago that we should be trading at the deadline but these are both selling trades right and it's a little questionable whether the orioles should I mean, it is questionable whether the Orioles should have been selling. I'm not saying they should have been buying or, you know, maybe a reduced selling sort of angle or whatever. But right. I mean, Lopez was pitching great and he wasn't um, right. His contract is not expiring at the end of the year. He could have been dealt whenever. Um, And there was no clear indication that, you know, his stock was going to drop immediately. Um Plus, he was really effective, like for us, and he could have been useful in this this playoff push that we were making. Um, I kind of, you know, kind of like what you're saying, Tyler, like quantity over quality. I definitely hear that. Um, I do think kind of this was, you know, a somewhat balanced return, right? We have Cano that could make an appearance like this year. Um, like you said, he is on the 40 man roster. Um, it, you know, and then we have you know, Pavic, which has a high upside. And then we have two younger, you know, guys more for the future. So, you know, I mean, granted, it is four prospects for a bullpen arm with a bullpen that has been fantastic. And, you know, they probably figure that, well, you know, we could just replace him. We can replace Lopez. I mean, and I think I think they were basically right in their analysis and has been proved early on that Lopez can easily be replaced by Bautista. I mean, Bautista is basically just as effective, um, if not, you know, slightly, slightly more so. 
Um, and he's stepped into the closer role and he's been great. And I think he'll continue to dominate, you know, through the rest of the season. Um, so in that sense, but right. I mean, that does, right. You know, if you use Bautista in the ninth inning, now you don't have him for the eighth inning. So there is a loss there. Right. So, um, yeah, so I, I, uh, yeah, I'm a little more, uh, unsure about this trade, you know, I'm, with Mancini, uh, you know, that I guess was a lot clearer in my mind that this is a trade that makes sense, even though, you know, barring the magic, you know, component of what Eli was saying, um, the Mancini trade, you know, made sense in my mind because of the playing time and, you know, all that. This mm-hmm. is a little a little less clear, especially if the Orioles are invested in the p- playoff push this year. Um, and it, it, I'm a little less sure about that. Um, and I think part of it is a question, you know, how much, how much do the Orioles try to go for it this year? And if the Orioles are going for it this year, then I, obviously I don't, I don't think you could really justify this, you know, this trade. Right. Yeah. I mean, I will say like it, it was, these moves certainly in general are selling moves for sure. They're not standing pat. That was an, a negative to the roster at the moment. But what I will say is like they didn't go all in and sell the farm again. They didn't they didn't they didn't trade Mullins, which there was talk of that. They didn't trade Santander, which that would have been a big blow. Like he's been the power hitter on the roster this year. Um, they they didn't deal Hayes or any of those guys. So it's like and, and then they also they didn't buy either. So I don't know. They did kind of hit that middle ground. There was definitely some backlash to trading Mancini on the optics of a guy that's recovered from cancer been the heart and soul of the team through a really bad time. And then Lopez, who was the only all-star this year. So, you know, it was definitely selling, but I think in general, it was relatively standing pat with the understanding, as you kind of just said, Jesse, that they can be replaced. They can be, we're, we're seeing Dale Hall come up today as we record to be a spot starter and then uh, go right into the bullpen. And that's going to, that's going to make up for some of these innings that Lopez would have thrown Mancini. We've already kind of seen his spot absorbed by Rutschman being in the lineup almost every single day at this point. Um, so yeah, they, they definitely did sell, but I don't think they didn't go all in on the selling. Um, and I think Elias kind of hit the middle ground as best he could without being a buyer, which you can make the argument they should have bought too, which I think Eli and I did a couple of weeks ago when we talked about getting a starter, um, which they chose not to do, but um yeah, I think I would probably stop short of like the outrage that some have had towards Elias for this deadline. Yeah, I think another thing worth saying is that Trey leaving also opened up at bats for Taryn Vavra, who now has yeah. like a 450 OBP since he's came up. Um, you, you know, it, it unlocks, like we've talked about using that DH spot in the everyday during games, but at the same time, it unlocks at bats for the next, you know, Kyle Stowers. It unlocks at bats for Taryn Vavra, you know, assuming Ruby is on the team forever. So <laughs> that, that DH spot really is valuable, you know, as we're trying to rotate guys into uh, into this team. And the other thing I wanted to talk about with the with the trade stuff, and I tweeted about this at the time, was like how Elias and his front office kind of regard pitching prospects, which is you know, I said quantity over quality. That's not always true, but I think what he does, they do seem to have a, a strategy of do not overdraft pitchers. Like that's the worst thing you can do is overdraft a pitcher. So if you aren't sure, take the hitter, 
let's let other teams draft pitchers, let them get pro data with those teams. And then we can go and get them in a trade because now we know, okay, this fourth rounder, we might've graded as a third rounder. He's now looking really good as a professional prospect. Like Povich has been, like you said, has helium. He's added velo. Maybe the Orioles liked him in in draft because I think he got, he came out last year, but they didn't have to commit a draft pick to him. And now they get him anyway. You know, I think that's how the Orioles seem to evaluate draft prospects from the pitching side of things, which I think is interesting. And it's something we should continue to understand because I think the Orioles in general are not going to go out of their way to draft pitchers. They would rather wait um, and get them later on, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I think another little factor there is I think it also reflects like what the Orioles think that their developmental system is really strong at. You know, I think that the Orioles look at, um, you know, look at a hitter like Stowers, who was somebody with some nice pull side pop, but just swung and missed all the time, you know, really didn't have great contact skills. And you develop him into somebody who's got 50 extra base hits this year and, you know, in AAA. Um, I think they look at, you know, them their minor league system having success developing hitters and they think okay if we are drafting hitters then that is where we can best create surplus value um Mm -hmm. so it just kind of speaks to it's another reason not to draft pitchers you can also like gain that information on pitchers and other systems as you go face them and your best opportunity to create surplus value is by pulling in these hitters that you can develop really well i I think there's that and i also think that uh, just with pitchers, the Orioles are just looking for, for more information, right? And kind of like you were saying, Tyler, um, just this idea that, well, we want we want a pitcher to be able to prove and check certain boxes and be able to show these things, right? And drafting them out of college or drafting them out of high school um, is a little premature and we'd like to see a couple more years added on and then we can assess what we can more more closely identify what we can assess and what we can work on and what skills and talents we can develop etc so. yeah for sure and you know there's what they've done so far has worked they've built up a really good farm system and they have a, an entertaining major league squad so tough to complain about it um the last trade deadline deal they made was a small one where they acquired outfielder Brett Phillips from the Rays in exchange for cash considerations. Phillips had been uh, DFA'd by the Rays, I think the day before. So, um, and, and there were rumors that a couple teams were interested in him if he got through waivers, um, but the Orioles didn't let that happen. They made a trade happen. And now he is currently on the roster, um, which I think a lot of people are having some trouble wrapping their head around why Phillips or like what Philip, what whole Phillips whole fills on the roster with Ryan McKenna on the team doing very similar things, being fast, uh, being a good defender and being a better hitter than Phillips has been at least this year. Um, so I don't, I don't know uh, other than maybe like the clubhouse aspect of it, but Eli, did you have any sort of thoughts as to why Brett Phillips is on the team and uh, you know, maybe how long he's going to be on the team? <laughs> This was pretty hilarious to me because, you know, immediately, like, everyone had the thought, like, okay, is this just trying to bring in a nice smiling face and make up for the PR hit that you just took? And it's like, well, clearly, they're not making decisions based on that. You know, that's definitely not what this is. And so I took a step back and it's like, well, Phillips is 
in terms of outs above average, you know, one of the better outfielders in all of baseball and you're getting him at a ridiculously cheap price. I get that. Like you said, though, that hole was already filled. You know, our normal outfield defense is really good. You know, besides Santander, we do have Ryan McKenna. It's like, I yeah, I don't know what hole he fills. And he's got like, I don't know, probably like a negative WRC plus at this point. So, yeah, I I thought it was going to be like a precursor to a, a Hayes trade or a Santander trade where. Right. Yeah. So when when we first when it first happened, I said, OK, there goes Santander. Then Stowers is going to get called up, play right field every day. And, you know, Phillips is going to be a backup and that'll be yeah. fine. No, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't know. I, I think, you know, Elias was just on the radio the other day and said Kyle Stowers will come up when there's a path for him to play every day. Mm-hmm. And I don't see what that is. You know, as long as they keep Odor at second base, then that pushes Vavra to DH, which means that Santander cannot go to DH, which means that Stowers can't play DH. It, you know, it like, I don't see a path anytime this year for Stowers to have everyday playing time unless we kick Ruggie to a bench roll at least. So, yeah, I'm, I, the, the longer it goes, there. the more I start to think about Stowers potentially being a trade chip because a lot of teams like to get a major league ready piece back when they give up somebody notable. Like, I, I can't tell you who that would be, who they would go get, you know, as an outfielder because you're going to then need to. You could trade him, but then you've got Santan and you have a starting outfield already. But I, I would think if you're really going to go for it and go lift off, like Elias said, is the plan. You're going to want an upgrade of some kind over Santander or Hayes. But maybe that's me overthinking right. it. I don't know. Jess, what's your take on the, the Phillips? Just kind of like what Eli said. I mean, I can't really justify it exactly either. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, we've been talking about how our outfield is kind of stacked um, at the moment and and full, um, let alone we didn't even really talk about how Diaz had come up for a day before being sent back yeah. down. So when you factor him in too, right, like, um, I mean, that's just another piece plus McKenna, right? And McKenna fills the same exact role, basically, right? He, he does, he has all basically the same skills that... Um, that Phillips has so yeah it doesn't make sense to me I mean I think kind of I think part of the equation is right if it doesn't work out with Phillips like we could just cut him like and and that's basically it and you know so uh I I think obvious and right what the Orioles get you know or spent for him cash considerations I mean you know that's you know not much uh, so I think it was kind of a low risk uh, acquisition, right? So it's, you know, the Orioles didn't lose, you know, almost anything in acquiring him. So um, it's kind of a low, you know, if the Orioles had traded, right, a prospect or something, then it'd be like, what's, you know, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think it's a low risk thing. And, you know, I mean, you never know how injuries are going to work out. And, you know, if McKenna gets hurt or something, like, I don't know. I mean, but yeah. right, it, it's still uh, it still doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, yeah. And it's also I mean, there's a couple things here that, like, I guess makes some sense in that he was a, an Astros pick draft pick when Elias was there. So maybe there's some history there. He's left handed versus McKenna being right handed at the plate. OK, 
Um, all of his struggles pretty much not well. He struggled in general, but he's 0 for 34 against left-handed pitching this year with 18 strikeouts and one walk. Um, now he's not good against right-handed pitching either. He has a 178 batting average, uh, 254 on base and a 307 slugging against right-handed pitchers too. Um, so that's, I don't know, there's something there, I guess. But the thing above all of it is that he's arbitration eligible after the season. So like, you know, no, he's not had a great career, but he's not going to be the league minimum anymore. He's a really good defender. That's probably worth something. And why do that if you already have Ryan McKenna? So I don't know. I, it's fine for right now, but yeah, it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you could bring a Kyle Stowers up and I think make your roster better versus I don't think Phillips really does that. I don't think he really makes the team worse either because I think they'll only plug him in when it really makes sense, but it just doesn't, it doesn't really seem to make a difference which is odd too so i don't know um all right so that's that's the draft i mean do we have any big takeaways from the draft are we happy with the draft are we or not the draft the trade deadline i'm sorry (laughs) that's it for the trade deadline uh any big takeaways from the trade deadline jess i mean i i think kind of also right like kind of like you hinted at earlier tyler who we did move is almost or who we did not trade is almost as significant as who we did trade. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, in a sense we were sellers, but minor sellers, right. Uh, Like you Mm -hmm. said, we didn't give away everybody and deal Hayes and deal um, Santander, let alone Mullins. Right. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's an important kind of uh, thing to think about where, uh Elias feels like we're at because uh I think that does indicate that he does believe uh that we do have a good baseball team and we are in a position to make a run for the playoffs and uh right so and granted like you know we look much more in position now than we did even two weeks ago right where we actually if the season ended today we would be in the playoffs whereas like few a couple weeks ago we still had some ground to make up so even then Elias like yeah wanted to wanted to sell something but was still uh probably you know had belief that you know what we can fill in these roles uh of what we're trading we're going to get good uh prospects back and we'll still be in a position to to uh to compete uh this year so yeah no, I think that sums it up pretty good. I think, uh, yeah, the team should be getting better, even though they didn't make trades. So uh, we'll see. We'll talk about that maybe in a second here. I think we're going to wrap up this episode with some potential September call-up um, talk there. So let's talk draft, though, first. Um, again, I know it's been eons since this has happened, but the players actually, as we record this, are now starting to get their debuts. They're being assigned to affiliates and all that exciting stuff is happening. So I think it's still really relevant um, to this conversation. But we did a draft recap. Uh, weeks or draft preview a couple weeks ago we gave our predictions on who we thought they were going to take um Eli and I on the podcast said Jackson Holiday right and then Jesse who did you say do you remember Jesse said Tamar Johnson Tamar Johnson okay now did I say Johnson or Jones maybe okay well you were wrong okay okay yeah right (laughs) (laughs) correct now you know twitter exists and i may have tweeted some things after about how i thought maybe they were going to go tamar johnson instead but look for podcast listeners as far as you're concerned i was correct um the orioles did take jackson holiday 
with the number one overall pick. Um, Eli, why do you think the Orioles went with Jackson Holiday, and are you happy with that selection? I am happy with it. Um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, once again, he was a guy with helium. You know, he was a guy who was on the rise. He was breaking high school records left and right. Um, I think he broke the record for like most hits in a season, <laughs> uh, nationally, that is. Um, he's clearly, you know, a pretty advanced prospect for a high schooler. He's capable of staying at shortstop. He's got plus tools across the board. Um, and, you know, I think that one, I think that the Orioles like lefties. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's just a tendency. I think pushing the right field wall back or the left field wall back actually kind of like plays into the Orioles' hand because they love lefty power bats. <laughs> um, and I, I think that, you know, not that you draft like specifically for roster construction and everything like that. Obviously, you just draft best talent available, uh, but he plays in from that sense. And then there's also like, I don't know. Yeah, I I think he had one of the more refined swings. You know, he definitely stays extremely balanced. He gets good, like, extension through the ball. I I really think that, uh, I don't know, I I, I think he's just an incredible prospect from everything I've seen, from everything I've read, and I like the choice. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, to me, he kind of seemed like sort of a Goldilocks pick where he wasn't, you know, wasn't – maybe there was other players more talented, I guess, is, is what it seemed to be the analysis in general of, you know, Drew Jones had all these off the charts tools and, and Elijah Green had this like massive ceiling and Tamar Johnson had the best hit tool. You know, they had all these like these data points that were far above uh, maybe the rest of the draft class, but Jackson Holiday kind of could do all those things. Um, and it sounded like the Orioles did have things narrowed down to about five different players and they ended up going with Holiday. And Holiday did cut a deal. You know, he relatively, he ended up signing for about $650,000 under the pick value. But still, it was over $8 million. There was none of this like $2 million deal that um, Heston Kerstad uh, gave them a couple of years ago. Um, so they definitely didn't like cheap out or whatever. That that it, whole narrative is uh, yeah, destroyed. It was the highest signing yeah. bonus ever given to a high school player. So, right. So that whole like the thought of like the Orioles are cheaping out, which is, you know, we've talked about this. It's not how signing bonuses work in the draft. You can't really cheap out, but as much as that exists, that didn't happen. So, yeah, I mean, I think we have to say the Orioles went with the player that they liked the most, which I think from the three of us who are not by any means high school baseball talent experts (laughs) is what you want from the draft. You want them to sign or draft the player that they like the best at number one overall. And I think they did that. So I'm happy with it. Um, Jesse, how about you? Yeah, kind of like you're saying, I mean, I think he was one of the more uh, well-rounded players in the draft, right? Which I think the Orioles liked. I also feel like probably him being a shortstop probably played a role in it. Um, You know, I mean, such a key important position. Of course, uh, we have some pretty good shortstop prospects uh, in the minor leagues, but um, that doesn't that doesn't mean there's not room for more. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think all of those kind of uh, factors weighed into it. And yeah, I mean, I have no uh, real doubts about you know, his ability and, you know, I'm sure he'll be a major leaguer one day. Um, 
you know, barring catastrophic injury. I guess I feel like I always <laughs> have to say that, but, Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and also, right. The other, the other big thing is the major league pedigree with Matt holiday being his dad. Um, I mean that I, I think people don't properly uh, weight that and how important that is, uh, you know, just for uh, someone going through this process um i i just i think that makes so much difference uh so um not that you know you don't pay attention to what's happening on the field too because absolutely you do but i just think that makes such a big difference in someone's career and someone's ability and you know they've been around uh a major league clubhouse their entire life and i think all those things just um are massive so yeah, and it was a weird, not a weird draft class, but unique in that both the top two players are sons of former, like, well-known <laughs> former major. These weren't guys that, like, had a cup of coffee in the big leagues. It was... Yeah, like seven, eight-time you know, all-stars. Matt Holliday yeah. and Andrew Jones is uh, pretty pretty interesting. But, yeah, still a good point, Jess, for sure. Um, and also, Jackson Holliday said in his opening presser, like, he thinks he'll be to Baltimore in, like, two years, which uh, that'd be pretty cool to have. I love that, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think we get Gunner up here, let him play short for a couple years. Then once he's 24, you move him over to third base and you've got the left side of your infield for uh, quite a long time. So I like not that. that. Not at all. Um, you know, we're not going to go through every single pick here. We've got a couple to, to notable picks to talk about here. Um, one, the one draft pick in the top 10 rounds that the Orioles did not sign was Nolan McLean, uh, third round pick at Oklahoma State. He's a two-way player, I think, when they drafted him, the, he was announced as a pitcher, yeah. um, but he can play third base as well. Um, he will not be doing that for the Orioles, at least not this year. Uh, Eli, do you want to touch on that? Yeah, just real quick. Uh, say my dog did say that uh, he would get at-bats at DH okay. uh, when they drafted him. Yeah, so the intent was to try to develop him as a two-way player. So uh, basically the Orioles just lost Shohei Otani. Is that what you're saying? Right. That's what we're saying. <laughs> no, so. this guy uh, is unfortunately not quite as good as Shohei Otani, ah. or maybe fortunately because we didn't sign him. <laughs> um, but he is like, so he was a two-way or a two-sport player, two-sport athlete. God, that didn't work. <laughs> two-sport athlete. Um, and he went to Oklahoma State to play football for whatever reason. I think he was a quarterback. It didn't really work out. He swapped over to baseball. And so he'd only been playing college baseball for a year and a half or two, I think. Um, and so he was up to 98 on the mound. He was hitting balls. Like I read like 480, 490 feet, you know, so he's got this like prodigious power on both sides of the ball, but he was striking out a lot. You know, he was really, I mean, he only really had the fastball. He didn't really have a good secondary pitch. So it was kind of a, you know, it was a definitely an upside play, but there was a lot of work to do on both sides. Um, so, you know, he was more an intriguing pick than a, you know, quick riser to the MLB. Yeah, so definitely a bummer to not sign a draft pick, um, but it, they didn't miss out on their first round draft pick. So, you know, not the end of the world. Right. Um, another one we wanted to point out was well i wanted to point out real quick he's not on our outline here but 11th round pick zach shaw walter high schooler the orioles gave him a four hundred forty thousand dollar signing bonus which um is pretty massive for an 11th rounder and a high schooler who i think 
it seemed to be that the rest of the league was pretty convinced he was going to go to college. Um, he's not, he's going to be a professional. I think in general, the, uh, people were surprised that he signed, uh, fastball up to 95 for a high schooler seems to be a pretty refined type of pitcher. I think this reminds me a little bit of the Carter Baumler signing a couple of years ago. Uh, hopefully Tommy John is not in his future, but, uh, I think that's notable for sure. Um, because he, at four at, at, in the 11th round, he got a draft pick, uh, signing bonus that matched more with like a fourth round talent, fifth round talent. So that kind of tells you what the Orioles think about him. Um, and then the other one that maybe the shock of the draft, uh, was in the 17th round, the Orioles selected Carter Young out of Vanderbilt MLB pipeline hat pipeline had him as their 237th best, uh, prospect in the draft. And he went 497th overall. Um, Eli, do you kind of want to run us through Carter Young? Yeah, the reason I put him on here, I, I thought he was just more interesting. And I put him up here with Nolan McLean just because the question on the last day of the draft was sort of, is McLean, or the last day of the signing period was, is McLean going to sign? And if he isn't, do we then have money to go for somebody like, a, you know, like mm-hmm. Carter Young, who had also not signed to that point? Um so, it, you know, Young, he played for the, like, 18U USA team and was the shortstop, and they won a World Cup. They did this incredible job. He, you know, like, immediately after that was kind of looked at as a potential first-rounder. He ended up going to Vanderbilt. And since he gotten there, he's really, like, struggled with strikeouts. He's struggled with injuries. I think it was a couple shoulder injuries. Um but he's a switch hitter. He's a really great defender. Um, and it, you know, it's just an interesting pick. I, I think he's potentially, you know, somebody we could see in the top 10 Orioles prospects within a year and a half of time developing at the major league or in the minor, you know, in the minor leagues, if we can figure out kind of where he went wrong and how to re-unlock the potential that he did have. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. He was going from Vanderbilt to LSU, uh, ended up he's not going to be going to LSU because he's going professional. Uh, I think somebody on Twitter noted that NIL money, you know, in college baseball, especially down south, can be really big. Um, so they had to give him a big bonus, and they absolutely did. He ended up signing for a $1.33 million bonus, which, to give you some perspective, would put him between Max Wagner, who was the Orioles' second-round pick and signed for $1.9 million, and Judd Fabian, who was a competitive balance pick between the second and third rounds, who signed for $1.03 million. Um, so the Orioles drafted in the 17th round a player that they are giving second-round money. Um, so as Eli said, like it, it shouldn't be a shock based on that if he does become a really good prospect, um, but definitely a unique way of doing it. Sometimes you can buy a high schooler that late, but it doesn't seem to usually happen with college players. So potentially like a draft shaping um, sort of move. So like, I think from like looking at the draft class, you go, Oh, we didn't sign a third rounder, but we did sign a 17th rounder. That doesn't make any sense. But if you look at signing bonuses, potentially the Orioles got two second round picks and didn't get a third round pick. If that framing makes any sense, that's totally Orioles propaganda that I'm buying into as well. I'll freely admit that, but, um, but yeah, could be, could be a big deal. Um, so yeah, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to like draft a, or grade a draft, you know, especially a baseball draft, but how are we feeling about, um, this draft, Eli, and maybe I'll go to you first to kind of just get your general takeaway here. 
Yeah, I, I was happy with it. You know, like you said, like we say every time we talk about the draft, we're not experts here. But the, um, I don't know, I did think it was interesting. You know, you talked about Show Walter in the 11th round. Uh, we did make an upside play for a high school pitcher. And, you know, earlier in this episode, even we were talking about how the Orioles typically do not go for amateur pitchers, much less high school ones. You know, you can get more and more data in college. You can get even more data in pro ball. So they usually like to wait on pitchers. We did end up drafting, um, I forget the exact number, but it was seven or eight pitchers pretty much through the back half of the draft. And it it was just kind of interesting to see that change in approach a little bit. Um, And McLean, we did announce him as a pitcher, as you said. So uh, we did, for whatever reason, think that we had a little bit more information, you know, that could kind of speak to over the last couple of years, how they'd been impacted by COVID, you know, people in the front office and the scouting departments might have thought that uh, that like lack of information over the COVID season, you know, and uh, the subsequent one where it was shortened might have impacted like pitching data a little bit more than it impacted hitting data, something to that effect. Um, But yeah, I mean, overall, I think the Orioles went in with a plan, you know, they, Dylan Beavers is supposed to be a pretty high upside talent. He was talked about uh, a lot of comparisons to Kyle Stowers, just with really big time power, but they say that he has better swing decisions than Stowers did coming out of college. Um, And people talked about him as a mid first round talent as well. And we picked him up after the first round Um, that, you know, just from our amateur level looking in, I I think that there's a lot to like here. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of talent coming in. Um, and yeah, the pitching thing is interesting. Uh, McLean was the, the top pitcher picked by the Orioles, but didn't sign. So of the pitchers they signed, the, the highest they drafted one was the fifth round. So again, not overdrafting. Um, and then just one other player to point out is 13th rounder Jared Beck from St. Leo University in Florida, seven feet tall. Uh, if he gets to the major <laughs> leagues, which is a big if, St. Leo, I think, is a D2 school, so not exactly a powerhouse there, but so, uh, be the tallest. Well, Tyler, oh. So, you know, I played against St. Leo I, College. I figured you did, yeah. They are in the Sunshine State Conference with <laughs> the Florida Tech Panthers. Wow. Um, yeah, I never saw Jared Beck, but I, got, I just have to say this real quick. St. Leo has a reputation throughout the SSC as the most, like, insufferable like chirping team nice they just they do all these like little league chants they are constantly just talking and they're straight up they were not that good I mean they were <laughs> not that good at baseball so when I saw like you know the Orioles are taking the seventh rounder out of St. Leo I started texting all my old teammates um it was funny but just had to throw that in there you go so Eli will be rooting for Jared Beck in particular is what it sounds like to me um jesse do you have any kind of big takeaways i know you know like the rest of us you're not a draft expert here but any takeaways here yeah i mean this draft is somewhat reminiscent of the adley draft because we actually did take the number one uh or who the orioles felt like i guess adley was more uh assured uh to be the number one overall pick but the orioles drafted in this situation who they thought was the best overall talent rather than, uh, I guess, under drafting. Um, so I think that's significant. Like you both kind of mentioned, um, 
you know, the drafting of pitchers is also noteworthy here. And I think also, right, we also have to connect um, the non-signing of McLean to the signing and the drafting of Jackson Holiday. Um, because if we had, you know, an extra $2 million freed up, right, or whatever, we probably would have signed McLean. Not saying that, you know, the Orioles did the wrong thing by any stretch, but um, I think it is important to connect those two things together. So, um, yeah, but I mean, of course, like, yeah, I mean, right. We'll never know. You know, I have no idea whether the Orioles made the right decisions or whether there right. were other, you know, prospects that were more interesting or whatever. But of course, you know, you read about, you know, the upside these guys have. And of course you get excited. And I think, right. Like, like I said earlier, I think holiday, you know, I'm not at all worried about him. And I think he, you know, kind of like Eli was saying is an advanced prospect. I think he'll be to the Orioles quickly. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm sure uh, it's kind of uh, I think this draft is a little different um, in some respects than previous Orioles drafts, but uh, there was nothing that stood out as, um, you know, horrible or uh, uh, something that uh, I can look back on and point to and be like, I think the Orioles really messed this up. So, right. um, yeah, so yeah, from my perspective, I think, it, you know, it's fine. And, I, you know, I think the Orioles will be good moving forward. And, yeah, there's a lot of uh, kind of like we were talking about, there's a lot of really interesting players the Orioles went for. So, um, yeah. yeah. And uh, it'll, I just wanted to say real quick on the McLean thing, because the Orioles didn't sign him, they do get a com- like a compensation pick next year. So while they didn't get whatever his uh, slot bonus could have been, like 400K or maybe more than that, um, they didn't get this year. Um, they get a compensatory pick next year. So maybe a positive in the long run. We'll see. Um, all right, let's talk September call-ups real quick because um, I know we're running a little long here. But D.L. Hall has been called up already as we record. Um, but beyond that, it's not really clear who or if any of them are going to uh, – of the other prospects that the Orioles think could come up will be up uh, in September. I think kind of on that list is Kyle Stowers, Gunnar Henderson – maybe Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, Eli, do you have any thoughts on like who you think the Orioles could call up in September? Remember, like it's no longer expanded to 40 men. It's now only 28 men. So it's, they got to be a little more picky with uh, who's coming up. Yeah. So I I think that, I mean, I'll I'll just focus on these guys and I think their chances of coming up. I think Kyle Stowers has to come up by the end of the year. Um, You know, Elias had mentioned the, you know, that he won't be up until there's a pathway to everyday play, but the Norfolk season's going to end. And so at some time by the end of the year, you know, there'll be an overlap where some play is better than no play. <laughs> and so, yeah, Stowers will definitely be up this year. Uh, and I'm excited to see him. We were talking about this before the pod. We do have a 40 man spot open, uh, which is interesting. Gunner, I am honestly not convinced. Uh, I would love to see him, but Jorge Mateo has been holding down shortstop extremely well. Uh, we finally are starting to get a look at Taron Vavra. He has excelled so far, and I'd love to see him at second base. <laughs> you know, it, he's not there, but I'd love to see him there. Um, and I think Urias has you know, had enough hot streaks this year and shown enough to 
it, you know, to think that there's no real reason to rush somebody up to get into his spot. Um, all that said, like, I would love to see Gunnar Henderson come up and play third base for the last month of the season. Uh, I just am not convinced that it's going to happen because I'm not convinced that the Orioles want to rush him in that sense. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know the reasoning, but I guess just the fact that he is not here right now uh, says to me that the Orioles clearly still want to be working with him in AAA, think that that's a better developmental environment for whatever reason. And I think that that probably will hold true for the rest of the year since he is just 21 years old. Um, but, you know, it, there's like a 30, 40% chance in my mind. It's less than half. So it probably won't happen in my mind, but there is a solid chance that if we are still in a wild card position when September rolls around, that the Orioles could make a splash play, kind of like we did with Manny back in 2012 and uh, make a run for it. Yeah, I think that sounds reasonable. Um, I, I, you know, I wonder what Michael Elias' plan was at shortstop back when the season started, because I don't think the plan wasn't for Jorge Mateo to be a gold glove contender and now finally <laughs> picking things up with the bat. So it's not like Michael Elias is like, Gunner is not coming up. To, like he didn't say this in April and say like, Gunner's not coming up this year. We're going to have this stalwart shortstop, but that's just kind of how things have happened. And I don't think you can really change the shortstop situation. I do think third base is an opportunity to upgrade things because Tyler Nevin is easy enough to demote. Uh, I think you could put Henderson at third, move Urias to second, and probably have just as good of an infield. But I know Odor, uh, there's a whole thing there. Um, but what I do think is relevant is, um, you know, with putting people on the 40-man roster, Elias likes to have flexibility there, especially going to the Rule 5 draft. The Orioles are getting to be a more competitive team. Uh, it's going to be harder to hold on to these fringy type of players. So you don't want to put somebody on the 40-man too soon if you can avoid it. That's where the gunner situation comes into play because I don't think he has to be put on until next December. Right. So if they can avoid putting him on there this year, they will. Whereas Kyle Stowers and Grayson Rodriguez both have to be put on the 40-man this December anyway. So I could see, I could see that making sense. Um, and you get Stowers up, you get his bat in there, which has got to be better than somebody that's on the roster now. And then Rodriguez, if he's healthy, uh, you bring him up, give him a couple innings in September. Um, and that propels him to uh, competing for a rotation spot um, in the spring. Uh, Jesse, what's your read on the situation? Um, yeah. So kind of how I'm thinking about it is right. Like I don't, kind of like Eli was saying I I'd be and kind of like you were saying I think too like I'd be surprised if Henderson uh ended up making it um this year um what I do think though is as far as Stowers uh like I I also think we have to keep in mind like how the the timing and if the Orioles are in this playoff push type situation right I think that the Orioles are going to be mindful of Right. If you call them up with a month left in the season, right. There are two things you have to consider. You have to consider all, you know, the playoff push, the playoff odds, the playoff chances, and also trying to somehow create a relaxed environment, which it's not going to be for these guys. Right. 
um, a relaxed environment for these guys to kind of get introduced to the major leagues. Now I know Stowers was up earlier, but uh, you know, for a very brief period of time and he didn't have a lot of stability while he was playing out there. It kind of just spotted in here and there. Right. I think as far as if any of these guys are going to play a factor into the playoff roster, um, I think it's going to be largely as bench roles. I don't think I don't see um, unless somebody just comes up kind of like Vavra actually and was just ridiculous. Um, and then they just seize a position at third base or whatever, um, you know, and then just, you know, take it over from there. Um, Henderson, I'm talking about in this case in particular, obviously. Um, but like, I don't see Stowers. Uh, coming in and just seizing right field from Santander, obviously. Or um, so, if he were to play a factor in the playoffs, um, I think it would be largely as a bench role. And then, uh, yeah, even moving forward throughout the rest of the season, um, I think we're looking largely at bench roles because I don't, I don't see. Um, I, I think it'd be very difficult and something. Uh, big would have to happen in order for someone to play well enough and then seize one of these starting spots from these guys. And if that were to happen, it would be on the infield. Uh, so, yeah. 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 That makes sense. And I did want to make one note about um, postseason roster eligibility. Um, so a player does, I think, need to be on the 40 man roster by 1159 PM on August 31st in order to be eligible for a postseason roster. Uh, there are some injury things that come into play there, but in general, like that is the rule. So if they're thinking about uh, that, then I think they need to be on the 40 man in that by that time. So it could happen here directly. I'm not sure exactly when this episode is getting released, but it should be at least a couple days before that. So there might be some uh, exciting news uh, coming up in the days ahead. Yeah. The other thing, um, the other person I think is worth mentioning uh, I, I think another obstacle to Gunnar Henderson coming up is just that Jordan Westberg is two years older and it, you know, he has been slumping in Norfolk a little bit admittedly, but I, as far as the Orioles just going ahead and promoting prospects when they think they're ready, uh, it makes sense to me that they would go with the guy who's two years older, who has had more experience in their system and give him a look in a year when you know, Michael Elias clearly, you know, he has said our playoff odds are there, but he's not inspired by them clearly. Yeah. Um, and, and so I could see kind of a forward progress, but not pushing all your chips in kind of move in promoting Gunner or promoting Jordan Westberg over Gunnar Henderson. Um, and I could definitely see him uh, popping up in September. Yeah, that could be interesting. Do, when is Gunner got to be on? Let me, I'm, I'm actually not Gunner. Um, Both of them are next year in 23. Okay. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could happen. Westbrook's definitely not been as productive at AAA this year. Um, still yeah, solid, but. Came yeah. up really hot and then just hit a really rough slump. Um, and we know that Elias does like to see a player like dominate a level before promotion. That's true. Um, That's true. So we'll see. We'll see. I have, I have doubts on that as well, but I think like, yeah, a healthy Grayson seems like a no brainer. And then Kyle Stowers. Yeah. I don't know how 
they can really resist that much longer. Um, but all right, cool. Well, I, I think Rodriguez has the the highest chance of playing the biggest role for oh, the yeah. Orioles, uh, you know, in the last month of the season and in the playoffs, you know, because I could see him making the playoff roster. So, yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, cool. Well, that's about all we've got for this episode of reviewing the trade deadline, the draft and September call ups. Um, uh, if you guys want to support the podcast, please remember to subscribe to us. If you haven't already, we are on Apple podcasts, Spotify, just about everywhere. You can also go to substack.com, the warehouse pod.substack.com, uh, sign up to our email list, and then we'll get sent right to your inbox rather than going to an app. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the warehouse pod, or you can email the show, the warehouse pod at gmail.com. Um, guys, anything else to say before we get on out of here? It's pouring down rain outside. It's pretty sad. But... Wow. Good thing you guys have a dome down there in Florida. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's sunny and beautiful here in uh, Baltimore County, Maryland. Oh, man. <laughs> Wish you were here. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. Well, that is about it. Until next time, this has been the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Thank you for listening. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.